This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me as usual are Richard Hawes. Hello, everyone. And Stephen Lockridge. Hello. This week, we've got four main reviews. We're going to kick off with On the Line, followed by Punch and The Island, and then we have Race for Glory, Audi versus Lancia. Our short shot is Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? in Springtrapped. And then in our DTV throwback, we have the Soskas film Vendetta. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first film, then, is On the Line. In Alderney, UK, in 1964, a telephone operator ends up being the pivotal piece of a drama unfurling which puts professional integrity and relationships to the test. I have to admit, I had no idea what this was going to be like going into it. I I have to admit, I was expecting something like a, a bonded media finance film. What was the one where the guy was? Oh, the hot seat. You know, remember the hot seat? Yeah, yeah. I, I was. Yeah, that's it. I was expecting something like that. I have to admit. Oh, um, Mel Gibson has done one of those called On the Line. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, when he when he's he's like a shock jock radio DJ or something. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. So, so this did surprise me, but even right at the beginning, right from the opening credits, I was intrigued because. You know, they'd put a lot of care and attention into those opening credits to resemble a certain type of film, you know, of that period, basically. So even then, when, you know, all these sort of graphics and things are coming up and, and, and the music, right then I'm thinking, okay, this is a bit different to what I was expecting. What we get is it's it's a COVID film, basically, isn't it? At the end of the day, this, this is a, a COVID production. It's a ship in the bottle. We've seen variations on this, and and yeah, a lot of the time they do work really well. For example, uh, Solid Rock, Solid Rock Trust that we reviewed right at the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a similar sort of idea. There was the one with Frank Grillo where he was a getaway driver. I don't know if you saw that one. It was on Netflix. Yeah, it's Wheelman. Wheelman. That was yeah. So. Tom Hardy did one called Lock, and Ryan Reynolds did the, probably the first one of this type, which was. When he's like been buried in a coffin, mm-hmm. buried. buried, that's it. And, and it, it, you know, it's literally just him yeah. in a box, listening, you know, with people on the phone and stuff like that. So, so there being variations of this, and and you know, like those films for me, you know, this worked really well. It's it starts out as one thing, and then it sort of like morphs into something else. You know, you think it's a, a thriller about a dangerous psychopath sort of thing, and it kind of is, but it also turns into like. A, a damning report on sort of mental health, uh, you know, following the end of the Second World War and that sort of thing. It was, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting watch. Steve, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was interesting. It, the, the thing that, that kind of got me was, you know, she's there stuck in the middle trying to do this and do that. And it just seemed like everyone was so unhelpful. Mm. Like, the, the other people on the other end of the phone just couldn't be asked for what she was saying and 
put my arse forward and up with it. And, <clears throat> you know, that kind of built the tension for the film and, this, and the character in there. But it was, the performances on the other end as well were decent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in stuff like this, you know, it can sound, sound like they are literally phoning it in, if you know what I mean. But on this, I, I thought it actually worked quite well. The, <clears throat> I know the set wasn't very big and everything, but I thought the attention to detail was really good as well. You know, the art direction was great on it as well. And yeah, I just thought it was actually done quite well. There seems to be a lot of care and attention in every department, really. And yeah. I, felt, I felt that I actually, you know, really helped build the tension and move the story along, and it, it all worked in its favour. <clears throat> I thought, yeah, I, I agree. Rich, what did you make of On the Line? Well, I've got a, some observations, but I want to ask, because my experience was kind of framed by a couple of things and mm-hmm. one of them was i wasn't sure when i mean i know we've just read the synopsis from from imdb which very clearly says alderney 1964 that seems but, late you know actually yeah thinking about it that seems late i i, I thought this was early 50s but does it come up at the start of the film or anywhere what time this is set i don't wait because I... what's interesting is it the the set the the, the year and location Mm. are noted in on the end credits, like right at the end of the, uh, the credits, which I thought, wow, I've never seen that before. But basically, Alderney is in the Channel Islands. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was Isle of Wight, I must admit. I thought, you know... Yeah, yeah it's a very they're small... They're very much they're, they're on an island. It's, yeah, it's... it's yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So they're in a small island community. And I looked it up. Uh, Alderney's got like a population of 2,000. It might have even been less back then. So that's why she's like, oh, you know, everyone knows each other on the islands and all this sort of stuff. And she's kind of involved in all their lives and, you know, connecting all these calls. So the other thing that was really throwing me was, and I might be being completely stupid, but it seemed like they had mobile phones because they were, she was contacting people who were on the move, you know, and they were, they were in vehicles and they were heading to get, you know, petrol stations and stuff. And I was thinking, Am I being stupid here? I just, I just. Well, I think I that was. Really... I think, I think the the police had, you know, sort of car phones or car radios. I think that's even yes, when they're talking to, even when she's talking to one of the people, the lady she's trying to help. It's like, where are you now? It's like, oh, we're on, we're we're just coming past this. I'm sure there was something like that. Anyway, mm. I I kept getting distracted by the thinking. How are they talking to these people who are on the move? Because surely <laughs> they'd be very, you know, landlines, very limited yeah. cord. It, I was, I was just completely sort of pulled out and sort of thrown around by that. Thinking, <laughs> is this kind of, it's it's now, but it's kind of a retro kind of setting that or something. You know, it's like a, a community that's never moved on, but they've they've got this kind of you know a bit like the John Wick thing. You know, it's it's very very modern, but then they're using this old technology and stuff. So yeah, so I don't know if that was me just missing missing something. Mm. I'll um, be honest, I think the bit you're on about. Because there's one part that she does say, I'm at the petrol station using like a phone box at one point. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, that make that would make sense. Because yeah. I was kept yeah. thinking, I was feeling like, it was like two or three times during the film, I was like, it sounds like they're on the move or they're, they're going somewhere. Or, but maybe you're right. Maybe they've gone from one place to another. They've, put, yeah. they've picked up the phone. You can hear vehicles in the background, which is why it sort of sound, got that sort of sense of. So, yeah, it could be that my, I was just mm-hmm. not sort of, on the ball enough with it yeah. that I was getting thrown. The 
the setup obviously is the we've sort of you've already mentioned it but it's that kind of one person thing the call center sort of switchboard operator sub genre i guess or sub 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 you know type of film that we've got because we've had the call with Halle berry and there was, oh, yeah, was the guilty was one, which yeah. which was then remade with jake gyllenhaal so there's been two or two of those there's also a short film i watched recently which was also about a call operator. i think there's quite a few actually around there and to an extent this all goes back to phone booth with uh, colin farrell so i this is a quite a short film it's uh, you know in very independent you know cast of actors who i'm not familiar with you know both as vocal performances mostly because it is a one woman show essentially apart from the voices on the other end of the line some of whom i think sounded better than others there was a, there, there were times when i was thinking what is elevating this over above just doing it as an audio drama as a radio four play of the day or play of the week or whatever which it is it does feel like that at, at some times and you do have to sort of pay attention to the to the to the way it's shot and the camera work and, and, and stuff like that in this very small what i thought was a, what you know what i assumed like like you said was a set it's actually they filmed it at avoncroft museum in birmingham so they've gone to they've gone to a location where it's you know it's been very authentically presented and they film and they filmed it there which i think is a, a very very clever idea <laughs> it's like why build why spend you know limited resources trying to trying to build your own you know period set when museums have got this sort of stuff all mm. sorted so uh, so true. very that's very good yeah you get the production value from that so this film was probably made on tuppence i would have thought but they've you know because they've managed to get that location and you know they, they've been able to invest in the in the standard of the the cinematography and stuff it, i think that's really where it sort of comes into its own i did disengage from it a few times i wasn't i wasn't entirely with it and say there were a couple of reasons i think for that but overall i found it quite interesting and it say so yeah the there are more bombastic versions of this kind of thing i say but the bigger brother say whether that um, i haven't seen the mel gibson on the line to say whether it's a relate to say it's set in the world radio whether it's a similar kind of thing but i would say that even though i haven't seen films like the guilty and the call i think the call has or is it kidding i, I can't remember there's the halle berry mm. one anyway um i think that sort of has cutaways to action or something at times i mean the only real the only one i can really say that i've seen which is quite different is cellular which mm -hmm. was but that's kind of that's that's a quite a different beast yeah. it's more it's very much uh, you know constantly shifting locations and yeah. on the go it's, it's like the mo the phone device is kind of linking the characters but you've got all the other stuff going on as well the original phone booth was more sort of just in that location anyway I've got, i'm getting off track <laughs> the um this is a really good interesting example of a low budget independently made british movie working with you know very limited you know budget and resources and stuff and and putting together something really quite interesting you know I, I was you know okay i was confused with stuff but i was quite interested in oh where is this where is the location I'm, i want to know more about where it's set and stuff so actually i, I did appreciate the uh, the filmmakers actually putting that in the credits so that i could sort of dig a little deeper on the film and stuff and yeah and if i ever get up to uh, birmingham i'll probably check out Avoncroft museum you know just just while we've been talking i've been thinking about that date as well and it probably is right but no, you know, certainly at nineteen sixty-four, because you know the, the the one of the one of the main protagonists 
is in an old people's home, mm. you know, and, and kind of reminiscing about the war. So, so it makes sense that, yeah, she's yeah. been through that and, you know, that's that, you know, she's in that sort of age bracket, excuse me. <clears throat> so, so yeah, that, that probably does fit, you know, and, and that was the sort of the level of technology back in the early sixties. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. You know, you, you mentioned coming off like a radio play and it, 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 it does to a certain degree, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if this had started out as a radio play and then was adapted, you know, in, in into a film. But mm. you know, the director Oliver Pern, I think he does enough visually to to keep you interested, yeah, you know, with with various angles and you know and and close ups and things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so sometimes you know you're just staring at the switchboard kind of kind of, kind of thing. You know, while 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 people are talking, or or you know, there's a call coming in and it's sort of, sort of drawing your attention to it. So yeah, I I found, I found this quite compelling to watch. I must admit, and I I, I love the you know the the twists when when you know the the little bits of information that you glean. And until you realise what's actually happened, and it's you know is is quite shocking and sad in a way. So yeah, it was it was it was a good watch this one. So Steve, what are you going to score out? I'll give it a seven. Mm-hmm. I'll join you on a seven. And Rich, because I wasn't quite as engaged with it, I'm going to go for a six. Mm-hmm. Two sevens and a six for on the line. Go check it out. Our next film is Punch. A young girl celebrating her last night out in her hometown is stalked by a mysterious killer in a Mr. Punch mask. So this is not so much a British slasher as a British basher. (laughs) (laughs) You're here all week. I'm here all week. I thought of that one while I was watching it. So That's actually a good one. I like it. (laughs) Okay, so this is this is probably the most working class slasher movie I think I've ever come across. You know what I mean? A lot, a lot of stuff is either set in a you know university or college or whatever, or in a reasonably well-to-do neighbourhood. You know, th- this is the arse end of nowhere, sort of like seaside town. You know, you imagine it's somewhere clapped. like so, sorry, well, I think it's supposed to be Clacton on Sea. Clacton, yeah, it could well, be. It, it's. It's it's kind of a um, they've gone to various locations to kind of create this one sort of unnamed seaside location. Yeah. But they, I mean, I was watching it going, "That's Hastings. I know that. Yeah. You know, I know those locations." But then there was other bits. I was like, "Well, that's definitely not Hastings." Yeah. Then I looked at other bits. And, so there's a long list of they okay. went to Brighton and like say uh, Clacton on Sea, uh, Brighton, Hastings, and a few other Cambersands. They went into a, a whole bunch of locations mm. around the sort of southeast and and stuff to. Uh, to, yeah, to create their, you know, run down. It's know, the off season, you know. So it's it's, it's winter time in a seaside town, and you know, it is the most desolate sort of place. Yeah, desolate, you know, lo- 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 you know lo- lo- loads of arcades and things sort of locked up for the, the you know the winter months. You know, not much going on. You know, we got our protagonist uh, Julia coming back. Well, she's been back a while. Her dad's committed suicide. Her mum has attempted suicide, I believe, is what's been going on. And she's been staying with her mum for a while, but has decided she wants to go back to university and, you know, finish her course. So she goes out with her best mate for one last night. And somehow, out of nowhere, 
this whole urban myth about the Mr. Punchman suddenly, you know, she's, she's grown up in this town and never, ever heard it. But all of a sudden, everyone knows about this thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to watch out for the Mr. Punchman, all this sort of stuff. And, th- and then we do get this guy dressed in a Mr. Punch mask with his, his, his whacking stick, seemingly indiscriminately just killing people for, you know, a, g- a good chunk of the film, sort of slowly making his way to this this girl, Julia, and, and her friend. What do you make of it, uh, Steve? Um, yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Because, like you say, he does just kind of like come out of nowhere. But everyone knows about him, but she doesn't, even though she's only been to uni. It's not like she grew up somewhere else or moved into town. And it's not just like they know about him. It's like they're helping him Mm. and stuff. You know, it's it's very weirdly unsettling. To be fair, I thought it was done quite well. I mean, it's actually quite nasty. I mean, there's a bit where... He like like attacks two girls who are like on a mm. separate endo. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And we've seen her before in like other things, in the past, things graphic designs. She was in that and stuff like that. Oh yeah, she's been quite a few recently. Can't remember name that much. I mean, I, I thought that bit was actually quite nasty. I mean, the rest of it's really just you know a bit of a bit of bashing and stuff like that. But that bit was pretty brutal the twist wasn't really a twist real you know sorry coming a mile off there there is one that it, it, it does sort of like trip itself up there's there's one bit where you start questioning you know it's, it's the old teleporting bit isn't it and so well if, if he's there then how, how is he over there now sort of thing and then they start yeah. you know then you start thinking well okay yeah mm. and that happened yeah. quite early on yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean also as well I mean, if you look at IMDb, it kind of gives it away. Right. Don't look at IMDb, folks. <laughs> yeah. There's a name there quite early on on the cast list. He's not really in it that much, shall we say. Mm. I was like, well, why have they got him so far up if he's not on it, if he's not, if he's not in it that much? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, but all in all, yeah, it wasn't bad. I've seen a lot of people calling for like a, a prequel. A prequel, yeah, a prequel and a sequel, sort of, you know, a a franchise, which I could see, I must admit, you know, I I think it has got legs. I think it's definitely got prequel legs, you know, just to give a bit more backstory to explain what's going on and stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, all in all, nothing nothing we haven't seen before, but done quite well, to be fair. It's it's managed to find a unique angle you know what i mean mm. i mean this as you say the actual you know the setup and everything is, is pretty right you know it, it's another you know crazy guy chasing girls and killing them sort of thing but it has got and it is a very sort of quintessentially english kind of thing you know it might be not something we like you know it's, it's almost as if somebody decided to make a slasher movie out of morris men you know morris dancers you know, yeah. it's, it's not something we're exactly proud of, but it is British. You know, <laughs> give it that? time. Yeah, give it time. Was the one from years ago, done with Jennifer Ellison, and mm. where it was just so British. She was like on a farm. That's the cottage. In the cottage. That was it. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's, it's like that, but more rough and ready type. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's true. As I said, it does feel very working class. This mm. one, Rich. Over to you. What do you make of Punch? I liked it. Uh, the 
you know, I, I was all, all, I was quite warm to it initially because of all, let's say, the the familiar locations. I mean, mm. we talked about the there was the wolf, where, where werewolf Santa or whatever it was called a few weeks ago, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, set yeah. in Hastings. But I didn't believe for a second they actually shot in Hastings, and if they did, they certainly didn't make the most of the location. But here, they've gone out of their way. To, you know, they filmed on location. That's you know on the seafront. Got some nice drone shots and stuff as well, and they've and the beaches and all the and they've gone to not just one place but multiple places so there's a bit there's a bit of big effort to go and get all the different bits that they needed to create this rundown seaside sort of any you know anywhere everywhere kind of representational sort of uh yeah not fancy version but like non-specific really sort of gone to waste kind of uh, seaside town location which as you say couldn't be more british really i mean i know america and other places have you know equivalents of that yeah. you know, the, the really the really surprising one it, it, mm. it, it's actually not in america it's it's niagara you know you know niagara falls oh yeah yeah that is they've modeled that place on an english seaside town with all the really tacky rides and arcades <laughs> and, and <laughs> burger joints and all that sort of stuff if you ever have a you know you, it, it's quite funny people i think it was suze kempner when she went she posted online and said, "Well, yeah, this this is what you expect, you know, sort of waterfalls and shit. But if you turn around, the camera faces the other way, and there's all these weird, like dinosaur burger joints and all this sort of weird stuff. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So the sort of, the, I think it is a cut above the other sort of British slasher movies or or, or these novelty mm. British slasher movies that we've seen. So like Nutcracker Massacre came to mind. Yeah, it's from a similar kind of." It's from the same sort of wheelhouse, essentially. The guy who directed it, you mentioned Graphic Designs earlier. He, he directed that. Uh, graphic yeah. Desires, sorry. So he's um, he sort of... I mean, he actually hasn't done that many features. He's done a lot of shorts and sort of built, built up uh, segments and stuff like that. So uh, he, But he's coming from that same world. I mean, Rebecca Matthews, I saw, was on the producer. She's not listed on IMDb for some reason as being associated with it. She, she was definitely involved. And she's done all those, you know, loads of those sort of British horror movies that look at some of the stuff like Tom Jolliffe's got involved in writing, you know, all that stuff. There's a whole ton of it. This I felt was a bit different, sort of stood out. This was by Paranoid Android Films, director Andy Edwards company or writer and director, I should say. And I think he was producer as well. I thought, you know, I thought he did a good job. I say, I think he made the most of the setting and location. The, the main character, you know, we, we get introduced to, what is effectively our final girl in the story. And she's not, she is different to those we're usually involved with, you know, sort of, sort of connected with. She's, she's a bit more rough around the edges. And mm. so sort of, I would, I would say that this film has a dash of, and I don't know if it's self, you know, consciously so, but it has a dash of bodies, bodies, bodies about it, where you've got these young people who are, you know, very e- at ease, you know, you know, with sexuality and drugs and stuff. Mm. And, you know, they're a bit obnoxious at times and whatever. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole scene. I don't know if it was written ages ago or something, but there's a whole sequence in this, which is basically a rave scene, which seems like yeah. it should have been from like Darklands or something yeah. in the 90s. But whether that was, in t- you know, intentional or not. But the, the, was, some, uh, that scene was quite funny because, you know, Punch goes in, he starts killing people and there's still people dancing around him. It's almost like that scene in John Wick 4. John know? Wick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is actually, and again, was that intentional? I don't know, but uh, so I think we've seen variations on on that kind of thing. But I did think that was a well executed 
seen, uh, no pun intended. I, I did like the the kill that you mentioned earlier, the base, you know, the baseball bat kill with mm-hmm. the the actress who I always say looks a bit like Sadie Sink, or, or, you know, different age. She's got the she's got the ring through her nose. She, she's been in like you say graphic. Does I didn't see graphic designs, but she was definitely in like at least a couple of films we've watched. Sarah Alexandra Marks turns up. She's also from that world of of, of all these films. I liked, you know, it was nice to see her again. The actress the, who played the the main character. I think it was Alina Allison yeah. as Frankie. I thought she was good. She's done, she's uh, working her way up. She's got a few, she's done a lot of shorts and things, but uh, I thought she was good as a, as the, as the lead. There was all the stuff with her mum, the actress playing a mum. I thought that was quite, quite well done. There's, um, you know, clearly sort of some, a lot of issues going on there. So this is kind of, it's what you've seen before, but they've managed to put a little bit of a, a twist on it, not just make the Britishness and, and the seaside town and everything, but also, you know, for good or bad, they've kind of make tried to make it a little bit more edgy, you know, with the, with this with this with the character, and you know, not basically do a hundred percent exactly what you would expect these characters to do. It's got, it, it sort of goes off in a few different directions, and I did quite, I thought the cinematography and the m- music was was good, and you know, it touches on all the conventions. We've even got a crazy Ralph kind of character who's like. Oh, you got to beware, and kind of thing. I know you were saying about that earlier. Mister Punch uses a voice changer. There's a bit of a scream kind of thing going on there. They that kind of me, but unfortunately, that's that's the bit that really sort of grated was, was the voice. What the voice? The voice. Yeah. I mean, it was meant, I did, to, be. I was it's meant, it's thinking... meant to be, but it was, it was, it was just yeah, yeah it was just a bit at times just a bit too much. I wasn't sure whether they made enough of the. You know, miss, you know the punch and Judy kind of thing. I, th- I thought there was there was some nice nods to that, and actually they don't over-explain it, which I think is quite interesting. As like we would we would sort of naturally they don't have enough a lot of references, but there are bits in there like you know he gets on the phone, oh tell Judy, you know that kind mm. of stuff, and the and there's a thing with a copper and that there's there's these little references to what the punch and Judy shows are or were and where he comes from, but they don't establish that at all. There's no there's no Sorry, like yeah. yeah there's no prologue set with a small child who, who who's you know watching a punch and judy show on the seafront or anything like that there's nothing there's no which i think they should have done yeah. that a little bit but they literally do not show any punch and judy performance as an indicator they just introduce this character as mr punch and that's it and but there's the whole a thing that say american viewers wouldn't necessarily get which is our punch and judy shows are essentially cancelled now because their 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 comedy, <laughs> comedy yeah, performances about domestic violence domestic yeah. abuse yeah so and, yeah. and uh, all this sort of stuff so that's where it's kind of coming from and i thought it was pulling in those bits quite well but you know i kept waiting for him to say that's the way to do it you know exactly. like, and, he, yeah, yeah. and he sort of said a variation on it but it wasn't the way i quite wanted it to be so i was like i was a little bit disappointed which is a stupid thing to be disappointed about i know but it was kind of that is the fundamental that is the main line and you really want want that sort of delivered 100 percent or perfectly well at least i did anyway but i thought it was pretty good to have a character and the seaside town and now the, the i'm not going to go into spoilers and stuff i know we talked touched on a little bit earlier but i did think as as derivative as it was the way it turned because we've seen it you know in various films british and otherwise I thought it was cool. I liked it. It's like added a little bit of, you know, extra I, I, admit, I, I did. You know, I mean, well, 
we'll, we'll, we'll talk off air in a minute because I want to spoil it. But but I, I was kind of surprised as as to the direction it went in, and I, and I thought it worked as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, Steve, what do you make? Uh, what do you score? Yeah, I'll give it a seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely worth a seven. And Rich. Well, I was hovering on a six, but I think I've talked myself up to a seven. Cool. There you go. Three sevens for Punch. Go check it out. Our next film is The Island. When his brother is killed, LAPD officer Mark leaves the city to return to the island he grew up on. Seeking answers and vengeance, he soon finds himself in a bloody battle with a corrupt tycoon who's taken over the island paradise. This is a very straightforward film. Very straightforward. But it's not bad. You know, it's not, it's not a bad film. It's just not a surprising film. There's, there's no real bells and whistles here. However, th- this film sort of made me realise how cynical I've gotten watching this kind of thing. There was two characters in this, which I automatically pegged as guys who are going to betray Michael J. White. You know, I thought, well, sure, obviously he's going to be, you know, he's going to betray him and all this. Oh, 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 he hasn't. Okay. Well, this guy, you know, he's definitely going to be the one who's you know somehow going to betray him. And it's like, no, they're just like guys who, you know, loyal to to the characters i thought it was really cool yeah i i enjoyed this but at the same time you know it, it's it's just nothing special steve what did you make of it yeah i'll be yeah i agree with you really um i think i knew you mean as well about mm. <laughs> who you thought was going to betray because i thought exactly the same thing there are, there's lots of shots of his face looking really pensive and you think oh you know is he got, you know reaching for the fo- phone and this sort of thing and you don't know who he's calling and you think yeah and, he, <laughs> and he's not He's not, he's just, yeah, he's just trying to do his job. Yeah, um, exactly. Like I said, I said earlier on, I mean, I'm not, as you can probably tell, I'm really not well this week. I'm, I've got like a throat infection or chest infection or something. Going to in the morning. And I must, I, I did drift out concentration-wise on this one just because I'm not feeling too good. But like I say, it was pretty, pretty much straightforward. You know, low-budget action Michael J. White yeah. wanted a holiday, basically. I think that's yeah. We got his wife. Yeah, he's got his wife in it again. He's, he's, he's like the, the I know of. He's like the third or fourth they've done together now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there could be loads more in the past that I don't, I'm not aware of. But yeah, mm. it, to me, it's a Ron Seal film. Mm. Does what it says on the tin. Exactly. Yeah. No real bells and whistles. Nothing exciting. And, and yeah, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not trash, but it's far off. You know, <laughs> there's a it's, bit more bit more to it, if you know what I mean. Hmm. It was, I mean, you know, the the whole setup of the film was was just a bit ridiculous as well, really. But mm. you know, we need we need this guy to die somehow for some reason. Yeah. Let's pick yeah. the most stupid thing going. Anyway, Rich, what did you make of the island? I wasn't. I wasn't sure what to expect going in, but I actually quite liked, as you say, the sort of straightforwardness of it. It's very much in the in the uh, kind of rhythm of a of like an eighties or nineties action film about, or basically with the, 
the get Carter plot basically mm-hmm. of your brother's been yeah. killed. You got to go, got to go back to where you came from, and you know, thing. I mean, we saw uh, Ross Boyaski use it with vengeance, and mm. that's probably sort of the closest relation that I would say recently that I can think of. I mean, back in the nineties, we've had all sorts like. I think Hawks Vengeance kind of did a variation on that plot, and and oh, oh next of kin, yeah, the Patrick Swayze, yeah, the so yeah, I thought the, so. Usually, though, the the death, the, the motive, you know, the, the murder that motivates sort of the action, there usually ends up being a bit more to it, and in this case, it was just, I mean, for one thing, sometimes it's a bit of a mystery, you know, or something's happened, you've got to find out. Mm. In this case, you see it right up front. And it's so arbitrary. It's like, so, it's like he really brought him. He, he brought it, and then it kind of Michael J. White's character comes over because we've had an an an, op- an yep. introductory scene, which is the drug yeah. deal gone wrong, kind of you know, bust or bust gone wrong, kind of thing, where it has a, a nice action scene to introduce characters, establish who they are. Got this kind of buddy, you know, buddy cop dynamic going on. You know, Michael J. White is the sort of gruff, stern one of the two. Jackson Rathbone's doing the comic relief. But then they kind of move, but they kind of just say, okay, that's done. <laughs> and yeah. that's just set up the character. We're going to leave Jackson Rathbone out of it for, for most of the film now. And it's just going to be a Michael, Michael Joe White going over to the, to the island in the Caribbean, which is nice. Lovely. Great location. Brings, again, provides some nice production value. Mm-hmm. A bit like, funnily enough, it's the second film set on a, on a small island. This one's actually got a much higher population. It's St. Kitts and Nevis, which is about 53,000. Mm. approximately so quite a bit bigger than than that and that channel islands one uh, in uh, on the line but here we actually see the island which is nice so uh, yeah gr- lots of fantastic locations in this michael joe like i say comes in does does what he does you know he's he, i have I'm, i like michael joe white but i'm very very behind on his standalone action hero movies mm. i've seen him in supporting roles like one more shot but, you know, I haven't seen Outlaw Johnny Black. I haven't seen As Good As Dead or I think I think The Commando might have been the most recent of his films. And that was not very good, really. I'm not sure if Gillian White was also in that. But the, you know, I just, he does. De- I mean, he's definitely got that, still got that star power, that charisma. You know, he's, he's really magnetic. And, you know, he still d- does the kicks and stuff, which is great. So there's some, he gets some really nice moments. There's not a lot, not a huge amount, but there's enough. And I think action fans will enjoy it. They'll enjoy the location. There's a bit where he goes and gets his weapons, which they've just copied blatantly from John Wick, which I think is a big mistake. I mean, I know it's a derivative film, but come on, sledgehammer and everything. <laughs> it's like, really? I just thought that took that again, sort of took me out. I mean, it was maybe that was supposed to be a bit of a fun thing that they threw in, but I don't know. I just thought that undermined it a bit. I did like all the supporting characters. And as you say, there's certain allegiances that you think there's that you know he meets up so with people. We're just so jaded, you... and you know, we just automatically assume, well, well, of course he's he's going to turn out to be a dirty cop or whatever, you know. It's like, but well, there's stuff like this. But the you know Steven Seagal, you know, there's a few Steven Seagal did films with bits of this in it. So like when he did Fire Down Below, there's the whole you know he goes to the sort of you know you know a rural location. You know, there's there's a conspiracy sort of thing going on and. You know, some one guy in charge of the whole town, and everyone's afraid of him because they all get their, their their they all get their their living from this guy, 
And in that case, it was Chris Christopherson. And, you know, and there's a whole scene where Seagal goes to the church and he gives a talk and says, you know, you've got to help me out here, guys. <laughs> it's like, we've got to get on top of this, you know, because this guy's not good. And the same thing happens in this, you know, and I like all that stuff. I thought yeah. that was good. And I did think Gillian White was really good in her role yeah. as the ex-wife. Good to see her in this again, yeah. They've got a lot more depth to their relationship in this, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. They're, they're, they've, they've separated, but there's a lot of warmth. He's, he says, you know, I'm still married. You know, he's like, they never really, he left several years ago and they've parted, you know, they parted ways, but he's, they never, they never stopped loving, and you, loving each other really. And you realize later what that was. And they try to throw that. That's quite a big dramatic scene that they add in there, which you wouldn't typically have, which I thought was quite, a bold move to sort of add that in there, but it definitely adds real weight to their relationship. I think they've got, I mean, the husband and wife in real life, they, I mean, on screen as well, they've got fantastic chemistry. Yeah. You know, the, the, they just work really well. And I would say, yeah, uh, the, the guy, just one quick thought before I step out, Eduardo Costa, I thought was really good as the villain, you know, very, very much a stock, <laughs> stock kind of bad guy. But he, he he pulled it off really well, and I thought I thought you know he was in there was that other film we watched Freelance, mm-hmm. which had a similar kind of character who was actually more of a good guy in the end. But this guy's very very much a bad guy, which I liked, and uh, so uh, he he was good. So yeah, he's he's a guy who's got serious anger management issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like well, yeah, I mean, he burns through a lot of men all his own. <laughs> But it's like Rich was saying, though. I mean, at the beginning, the murder of his brother. Hmm. I, you know, it's over that quick and over something. Yeah, exactly. So, so trivial. Yeah. Like I said, my concentration's been shot. I didn't realise that that, you know, that was what it was until about 25, 30 minutes in. Because hmm. I'm just thinking, well, it, well, what it was it then? Yeah. Because it, 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 it can't be him. It's, it's so trivial and throwaway. Yeah, but it, you know it can't be. But no, it is. You know, and it, that's, that's, it, it, yeah. In a way, I mean, it, that's kind of refreshing in itself, though, isn't it? Because it isn't this yeah. sort of big dramatic, you know, sort of thing. There's no, as you said, Rich. You know, there's no conspiracy attached to it or anything. You know, he hasn't uncovered some d- dark secret and he has to be killed yeah. for it. It's just this stupid minor infraction or you know, genuine mistake. That his boss has taken umbrage to and just killed him. <laughs> well, you know the other film that this is referencing. I'd say whether whether intentionally ripping it off or otherwise, but especially as you get towards the latter part of the film, the revenge kind of part sort of sets aside because he he, he ends up being. I mean, not set aside entirely, but he the the quest is is sort of resolved very quickly. It's like he knows where he stands. Yeah. You're the villain. You know, they he's 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 you know having conversations with him and he says, "I know what you've done," kind of thing, all that. But it turns into walking tall. He mm, even yeah. becomes the, even takes over the role of like the the, local uh, the lead law enforcement, local sheriff kind of thing to sort of clean up the town and sort of motivate the the, mm. uh, the locals and stuff. So I think yeah, this is a this is a nice sort of mix and mash kind of throwback to sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, action, you know, thriller or you know the, that kind of mix of you know a little bit of revenge, a bit of cleaning up the town from the bad guy who's kind of you know you know the the crime boss you know is is who's, you know got got everyone sort of under his thumb kind of thing and th- although the opening is a bit extended with you know that's performance and then the interview with the the singer and you think something's going to happen with them but then actually this other thing from the side i thought that was actually 
although uh, although a bit arbitrary in terms of the plot motivation because it, it doesn't really have anything to do with you know it kind of it's a side swipe kind of thing and it i think it almost works i think you kind of see it coming too much for it to completely work but i thought it was an interesting way to start the film yeah. and actually the film doesn't play out entirely as i was expecting because usually in that sort of thing you know there's a witness she's got to be protected you know so they team up and all this sort of stuff but he was like basically no there's the witness right send her away and that's it she's gone <laughs> basically um, yeah. and there's, but there's even, a- even that that whole sequence as well i mean you know going back to what i was saying about that particular a particular character mm. you know who you know she's put into his care to then sort of you know and, and then he has to sort of put her on a boat to to send her off to to get her to the airport and well, that whole bit, and, and until later on, when he speaks to you know the, Michael Terry White's partner, mm-hmm. up, up until then, you're thinking, "What's happened to her?" You know, <laughs> we 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 just don't know. You know, there, you, you get a bit of tension out of that. I thought that was quite good. Just want to talk about the director just for a second. So we've got Sean Sean Paul Piccinino. Just murdered yes. your name, Sean. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Who? We've come across before because he directed a film called American Fighter all the way yeah. back in 2019 with Sean Patrick Flannery, which we we enjoyed. Oh, yeah. I seem to remember. Yeah, enjoyed that, we, yeah. we, we we did enjoy that one. Yeah. Since then, he seems to have been doing a lot of like Christmas movies and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think he's. Um, I think he must be doing like Hallmark or something. Yeah, it was a Hallmark uh, channel by the looks of it. But you know, so this is obviously a bit of a change of pace for what he's been doing for the last few years. I, I think he could do quite well at this sort of stuff, to be honest. Uh, you know, I don't think it's beyond him to, you know, do something a bit more sort of complex with the with, with it all. I thought the fun, you know the actual action scenes for what they were, were were well done. You know, Michael J. White got to shine. You know, we could see all his kicks and blocks and everything. It was all really good. So so yeah, I, I think this is you know he could he could definitely do this. So yeah, good on you. Okay, scores, scores. Steve, how are you going to score the island? I'll give it a six. Mm-hmm. And Rich, I'm going to give it a seven. Mm-hmm. I I did enjoy this. It you know I, I think it is a seven. I could easily rewatch this. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a comfort film, basically, is what it boils down to. I just you need know. to mention one more thing that really bugs me at the end of the film. Oh. Don't mind. I don't know if you. So there's a scene that happens at the end. Where Michael J. White's character is sitting, is you know uh, in a location. Let's say I'm not going to sort of give it away entirely, but somebody else comes along mm. and sort of has a chat with him, and and then we get a pull away sort of drone shot, which makes it very clear that He's that person yeah. would never have been there because the the, the place like, where like he pit. was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like walking on like a boardwalky kind of thing, and there's like I was like. No, he, there's nowhere to be, unless he's you know, miles away and I, shouting. I yeah, I'm not usually good at spotting this sort of thing, but it was very clear that, you know, th- those were shot very individual bits and then mashed together later on sort of thing. Um, mm. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. So, Rich, how are you going to score it? Seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it's, what was it? Six, two sevens for the island. Go check it out. Our next film is Race for Glory, Audi versus Lancia. 
a film inspired by true events that occurred during the fierce rivalry between Audi and Lancia at the 1983 Rally World Championships. I remember there was a, a Top Gear segment where they, they highlighted, you know, they, they documented this and went through what happened and how, you know, Audi were the you know, the dominant force at the time because they'd introduced four-wheel drive to their car. Everyone else was playing catch-up, basically. You know, it, it's, it's interesting the way the film goes into the detail at the beginning as to what that actually means, you know, and, and why nobody else had figured it out. You know, it was a sort of real piece of ingenious engineering that, that allowed them to do it. It was very interesting. And and this film, I thought, was was pretty damn good overall. I, I was kind of hoping it would be the actual documentary. What we'd get is a sort of dramatization of, of what happened. Although there, there is a very interesting yeah. sort of afterword, which I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. in, in a bit. But anyway, uh, Steve, what did you make of uh, Race for Glory? Right. Well, there seems to be a rake of films like this at the minute. That's a what? So you've got, yeah, a rake of these type of films. Oh, yeah. Them. Sorry. I thought you said something else then. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my chest. Sorry. Mm. I mean, you know, you've got like... Oh, Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari. The one that we... With... Um, oh, the... Yeah, yeah. Lamborghini, Lamborghini yeah. one, yeah. 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 And I'll be honest, motor racing does nothing for me. At all. Mm. I mean, I'll, okay, like you, I used to watch Top Gear, but it was nothing to the cars, it was more for the comedy, you know, I mm. found it funny. This type of film really does nothing for me. And to be honest, I found it quite flat, quite boring. Even the, you know, the rally sequences, I thought, just seemed a bit slow. I don't, there's no excitement to them. I don't know, it just, Really didn't get me at all. But the forms was pretty good. I mean, the main guy, Ricardo Scamaccio. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. You know what I mean? But mm. the character seemed so so laid back. He was horizontal half the time. You know, and he just didn't do anything to get my blood pumping whatsoever. And I thought it just found it very very boring and just knocked me at all. Very nice. Rich, what did you make of this film? Yeah, I thought it was alright. I mean, yeah, there, there has a whole there's a whole load of these things, especially like if you if you encompass all the sort of brand story movies like Air that that we get all the founder and all all, all all that sort of stuff. So this one I actually thought from the title, because of the way the title's presented, it would be more about Audi, but it's not. It's about Lancia. Well, uh, they were the underdogs, so yeah. Yeah. So it's the which I didn't know going in. I didn't know anything about it. So the the film is interesting because it comes up straight away saying an Italian and French co-production, which you don't normally see anything like that. Normally it would say just mm. the names of the companies that are involved and stuff. But this is shot largely in English, but it's multi-language. There's Italian, there's German, all sorts, which I liked. I thought that added a lot of colour. It's not often we see films from Italy uh, on the show. So I, quite, I thought that was quite nice to see a, a reasonably budgeted you know italian production uh, aiming for the international market which uh, you know and being marketed originally it was called to win or at least originally uh, one of the posters but they say they've kind of intentionally marketed it not just in the uk but in other territories 
on the back of the Ford versus Ferrari kind of thing. Yeah. So they've kind of copied the aesthetic in the in the the poster design and stuff. And there's even some stunt casting here actually because we've got Daniel Bruhl mm-hmm. in a supporting role who was also in Rush, which was the uh, James Hunt. Yeah, yeah. Hunt and so Nicky Lauder, that was it. So the this is kind of feeding on different conventions and stuff and, and telling telling its own version of a story. And like I say, I think Lamborghini is probably the closest, I would say, in terms of this is much more, you know, in terms of budget and stuff, it's more that than it is big budget Hollywood movie. And they sort of do a lot here with archive footage. There's some racing scenes they've actually recreated and stuff. So they, they, there is stuff in there, but it's it's kind of one and it's kind of the footage the rally footage the the new stuff and the uh archive footage the thing that sort of draw make me feel really tense was all the people just standing at the sides of these corners and stuff and i was thinking it's like death wish or what you know it's like so incredibly dangerous i know some people have done but i think it's a miracle that more people haven't got it you've done it i've done it yeah when i was younger weren't me uncle I, I did it with like the TT races, but with motorcycle racing on the Isle of Man. So I've done it from that perspective, kind of thing, which is similar. But you think, geez, all these cars just hurtling around. It's not going to take much for it to just go knock somebody off. Anyway, there's, there isn't a tragedy like that in it. There is a little bit of tragedy added into the story. Funnily enough, it made me think of Gran Tur- the Gran Turismo film, which I watched recently, because that has kind of a similar structure as a lot of these films do. It's kind of the underdog story. And then there's like a dramatic turn of events and and things like that and there's a little bit of there's the the stuff with the engineer who is really reminding me a lot of the interplay with between lamborghini and and his his guy his main guy in 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 that frank grillo movie and so i think i think it was sort of sort of, there was a, there was enough that was interesting for me not being a fan of motorsports either the period detail i thought i thought they did sort of carry that over but I did think the climax felt a bit flat. I think, you know, yeah. it sort of leads into, it sort of has this sort of race climax. And I kind of got to the end and I was like, oh, oh, is that it? <laughs> I was like, I was thinking a bit, it was going to be a bit, bit more or something. And I was like, oh, 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 okay then. All right. Yeah. So I thought it maybe peaks a little bit early. I thought the lead, the guy in the lead, Ricardo Scamaccio, yeah. who was the, who was Keanu Reeves' nemesis in John Wick chapter two. I believe he's very charismatic. He was good. Um, so, but it's kind of another one of those films, which is about the person behind everything more than like the mm. racing driver in that, which I thought was quite interesting to say it's a bit more like air, you know what? Like where air is not about Michael Jordan. It's about the guys in the suits who are trying to get Michael Jordan to do stuff in this. It's kind of him. He's trying, he's co- he's coordinating the drivers and trying to get them to do the thing to help him achieve sales. <laughs> that's what it's about they're trying to win right, so, so they yeah. can sell the car well at that's the end that. of the day he you know they, they are working for lancio in the same way yeah. that you know the, the rally drivers are working for audi and, and yeah. the whole point is yeah i mean they, they're going to sell millions of cars off the back of you know their, their achievements yeah. or, or exactly. not i mean which is similar to air in a way because that was yeah. all linked to sports but it's no it's, yeah. it's actually we want to ex- you know exploit the sport to get the promotion to you know, to get the sort of you know adoration of this this thing to sell our products and stuff. So it's a the yeah. I, thought know, it was yeah quite, I don't know anything about the story. I thought it was really interesting to see it from that sort of vantage point rather than good, being the, 
Yeah, there's some good it. sort of like you know off off race anecdote spits in there. Like there, there's a scene where, uh, as as part of the the rules of, of rally driving, you know, you have to have a basically the rally car has to be a production car. Uh-huh. So and, and and you need two hundred. Uh, you know, as a minimum, you need two hundred production cars produced in order to 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 race, and they'd only done one hundred and three at the time. So they do this whole elaborate scam where they trick the the auditor into thinking that you know there's actually two hundred cars by saying, "Oh, the you know the rest of the cars are in another car park over there. I'll take you there." And then in the meantime, <laughs> they drove all the cars around, you know, to make it look like it's, it's, it's good. There's also the thing about bringing in a a nutritionist to, to help the you know the the whole team to sort of keep them going because the, you know because the whole thing is like you know it's an adrenaline sort of peaks and troughs all the time and she's sort of there to help regulate their sleep patterns and you know their, their, their calorie intake and all that sort of stuff to sort of just keep them going throughout the season i thought that was quite interesting all the little sort of dirty tricks that he and the and daniel Brule's character play on each other throughout the, the thing like you know Tricking him in, in tricking Audi into putting snow tires on, you yeah. know, after after he'd yeah. already sort of like you know gritted the roads <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, this, this, which, is what, which is what there was stuff like that. I was thinking, am I supposed to be on his side? Because that seems really underhanded and sneaky. Oh, yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm not really, I don't really like what you've just done there. <laughs> so am I supposed to be cheering for you or not? I don't know. It's a bit weird. Yeah, it, it's gaming the system, and you know, it's 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 gamesmanship. It's it's playing, exploiting the rules to your advantage. Well, they yeah. do the bit, don't they? Where he says, "Oh, you've broken the rules." It goes, oh, "I think you're fine. I haven't broken the rules." It doesn't say I can't do can't this. Do it. it says, <laughs> it, says you, it, it says, "It doesn't say you shouldn't do it." Doesn't say you can't. Just because it doesn't say I can't do it doesn't you know it doesn't mean I can or whatever. Anyway, yeah. So so there's is a lot of interesting bits in there now right at the end of the film you know it we, we get the sort of the epilogue where it sort of explains what had happened to the various people you know and the fact that you know lancia went on with the, it was the lancia delta was you know the the sort of like the dominant car for the next couple of seasons but then we get this afterward which basically said yeah everything you just seen is bullshit <laughs> it's just like yeah. yeah they obviously skirted with the truth so much you know, or or tweaked it for dramatic effect too much that people were starting to object. You know, you can't really sort of say this is the true story of what happened. Probably, possibly, sort of one or two people got a bit upset with the way they were being portrayed in the film. But yeah, it was, it's interesting how long and lengthy that particular disclaimer was at the end. You know, mm-hmm. it was okay. You're obviously trying to avoid a lawsuit here, basically. Well, I think but, you get it like two or three times, even. I think, I mean, you get it like at no, the they, end, they, at they the beginning of the credits. They, they put it all at the at the yeah. at the end credits as you would normally expect. But mm. I think there might have even been something at the beginning. I might I be think, completely wrong on that. I think you do sort of say that. Oh, you know, so, so, I mean, certain characters have been sort of amalgamated, you know, in, into yeah, one. They always there's a lot. Yeah, of, there's uh, always that. that. That's quite common, and that. But yeah, they do make a very specific sort of mm. long point of it at the end to sort of really cover themselves <laughs> it's yeah like i said i mean you know my, my interest in this was peaked because i remember the you know the particular bit that you know top gear did and jeremy right, right. It was. so you know that, that so i knew it was there was an interesting story there to be told and i think they do you know a pretty decent job here it, it, it's not 
it's, it's it's not particularly flamboyant or you know it doesn't have a lot of visual flair we, we do we do get a lot of sort of in-car driving scenes to sort of get was, a feel for it, for it but overall it was yeah it's, you know. one sh- there was one shot where it, the car came flying out of the corner yeah onto a straight and the camera followed it looked like it was going to t-bone it and then just turned out nice and went alongside it mm. that was the only bit of flair that i saw in the film yeah i'll be honest there's that one shot of that that's nice because because the, the other thing about rally driving as well is is, is he not really you're competing against time rather yeah. than the other your competitors as a world you know that sounds a bit bad yeah, yeah. but but so so you don't get like you know sort of thrilling overtakes or anything like that or you know trying to bash somebody off the road it's it's literally you've got to get to the other place before you know in a quicker time than the next guy in order yeah. to you know to win so so it is a little bit different i guess so so not quite as cinematic as sort of you know days of thunder i guess or something along those sort of lines but anyway okay steve how are you going to score race for glory i'll give it a five Mm-hmm. And Rich, I will give it a six. I'm going to join you on a six. Yep, two sixes and a five for Race for Glory: Audi versus Lancia. Go check it out. Our short shot this week is Scooby Doo. Where are you in Springtrap? When the Scooby Gang visits Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. They must investigate a mysterious case of the animatronics getting a bit quirky at night. Okay, I love Scooby Doo. I, oh, you know, ever since the first series. Okay, possibly not the Scrappy Doo ones, but <laughs> just about just about every variation of Scooby Doo I've you know sort of watched. Mystery Inc. is my favourite version of it. I thought that was absolutely superb, and I think this which is a sort of stop-motion version of sort of Scooby-Doo, you know, recreating the music, the the, the credit sequence, you know, the the characters. I think it does an absolutely superb job. Yeah, I I, I totally love this. Obviously, it's it's a mashup between, you know, Scooby-Doo and Five Nights at Freddy's. There's there's a lot of sort of good nods towards that franchise as well. Steve, what did you make of Scooby-Doo? Where are you in Springtrapped? Yeah, it was cracking. Not really what I expected, to be fair. I mean, I pressed play and it came up. And like I said, it is basically just a stop-motion version mm. of, well, not, not not an original Scooby-Doo story. Obviously, it's, it's the crossover with Five Nights at Freddy's. But the way they recreated the original title animation, mm. It's exactly the same. It's just that motion. I thought they've done a really, really good job on it. So much good detail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The voices sound is spot on. To be fair, mm. even to the, the original. Now I'm wondering. I'm looking at it on IMDb, mm. and there's a couple of people, but some of them, like Shaggy, apparently that character he was called Sweet Life of Shaggy. So I'm wondering if there's a bit of AI manipulation going on in there. There's a there's a bit of controversy over this. Yeah, there's apparently online there's been people sort of saying that oh we've used AI versions of of the voices. You know, I I didn't notice. I mean, obviously he hasn't got Casey Kelsom doing um, Shaggy, you know, but yeah. you know, uh, I I thought I I, I didn't mind it. Sounded, 
It's just, no, I don't, they might just sounded too similar to the originals, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I literally thought that they'd all, it'd been overdubbed from an original episode and they just reanimated it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Well, but I thought, no, I can't have done this. Yeah. No, apparently, that, apparently what they did, they sampled bits from the original and then, you know, re- redid it with our AI. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. And Rich, you cur- curated this one. Have we come across um, Egan Tyman before? No, I think he's done a couple of short sort of other bits and pieces in a mm. similar animated style. But no, this was, the f- I think, the first thing I'd seen from him. And yeah, it's very, very impressive. I'm not sure, I don't recall whether the whether Scooby-Doo's ever been done in like a stop-motion style, but they're definitely, that his his particular style here is stop-motion with a with a view to recreating or, or homaging sort of like late 60s Hanna-Barbera. Mm. And I think he really nails it. I think the, all the, the editing and stuff's fantastic, the characterization, the, the des- I mean, the design and, and everything of the, the characters, which were, I believe done in stop motion, but animated in Blender. Yeah. The the voice stuff, yeah, it's, that's quite interesting. The the controversy about the the AI, which I think was only a couple of the characters. I mean, the the guy playing Shaggy is like is is like a an impressionist or or, or somebody who who sort of imitates that character. Hmm. So he's I think I think I mean he, he's got like a twitter account and everything it has sweet life of shaggy shaggy doesn't say his doesn't say his actual name so he is that seems to be what he goes by rather than his actual name but and that's how he's credited here the original upload i think i don't know if it's the original upload or the redubbed version which was original which was then which was done after the backlash but it's either way the film has had well over two million views and deservedly so. Say so. It's a fa- it's really good pastiche mashup, like you say, with the Five Nights of Freddy stuff, which perfectly work together. Yeah. I mean, it's a great mix of the t- of the two. The, the whole the stuff with with the Five Nights of Freddy villain and stuff. It's just, I mean, it's more that than the. It's not so much about the animatronic characters that like the movie was based on. Everything. It's much more to do with like the the bad guy in tra- behind the whole thing. So the that's what. That's how it fits in nicely with with the Scooby Doo sort of, you know, themes and plot, you know, resolutions and all that, all that sort of stuff. So it does it does exactly what you would want a Scooby Doo pastiche to do. Even the uh, song and it, and it does it really well. Yeah, with, with the music and everything. And there's that song in there, which I presume is like a real song from Ethereum, something that's sampled. The, during the montage sequence where they're chasing no, them no, around. Yeah, there's the the chase song basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's a new song that's been made to sound old or or it's like a sourced one or something. I'm not 100% sure. I did want to look it up, but I didn't get a chance. But that all fitted well, you know, great, you know, period feel. And obviously they've added all the, when he's animated, he's added all the uh, sort of aging sort of features and stuff, a bit like, you know, people do with the, you know, the the grindhousey kind of stuff to try and make something look old. But that all really works nicely. It's not too distracting. It adds to the sort of, I mean, it's all four by three. It sort of adds to the feel of authenticity of the whole thing. It doesn't feel like it's, it's not parody, but it's very respectful. Yeah. You know, it's just a sort of a really good sort of re- what if kind of fan film scenario. Yeah. No, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoyed 
I mean, as much as I enjoy the actual show as I did when I when I was a kid, the the Mystery Inc. version is 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 a good update because it's sort of you know it it does sort of poke fun at some of the 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 bits in it. You know, with the very first episode, they get arrested for for meddling and things like that. It's very good. There's been some really good parodies over the years or, or good mashups. There was a great one with Johnny Bravo, which which really really nailed it. Well, there's, there's the, the Scooby Doo project, which is the Blair Witch one. That was, that was really good. That the Cartoon Network did. Yeah, it, it's it's just a very sort of enduring thing, and and it's it's really great to sort of see obviously other fans put, putting so much time and effort in, into a project like this and, and, and putting it off with, with such a plumb, basically. I mean, quite different to this, I know you've seen it as well, is the the Mystery Incorporated pilot episode yeah. from, from a couple of years ago. So it's not a short film. It's like it's like just over 50, it's like 50 plus mm. minutes long. But it, that's a really good... Um, it was very good. ...teen series kind of take on that. It, it's basically Riverdale, the- but Scooby-Doo, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, but, but that worked really. It's a real shame that, that no one's run with that. But but that was very good as well. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the other thing I was, wanted to mention was there was a. It's just a complete aside, but there's a book called Meddling Kids, which I've I've read it. Yeah. To, uh, that's oh, really, you have. Yeah, that's really, it is really good. Because yeah. that's yeah. that's the whole the whole thing about that is that it's it's sort of mm. homaging or or, or parodying does, yeah. the, the Scooby Doo yeah. kind of thing, and and this was before. I think Stranger Things, so it's kind of mm. it's it's sort of doing similar things, if I recall correctly. Is it? Tell me a little bit about. Sorry, just a brief aside, like it, a, a quick synopsis. Kind of. Well, it, it, basically, it's about this bunch of kids who do sort of solve a mystery while, when they're young, but then something happens and they all sort of disappear, and then sort of drawn back to their town as adults. A bit like it, you know, in a way, you know. Right. And it turns out, you know, th- things are starting to kick off again in their in their town. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I must admit, I thought it was very good. I'll have to check that out at some point. So, uh, yeah, Spring Trapped, very highly recommended animated short. Whether you see the, I don't know if the original, I don't know if the original, original version still exists, but there are versions that are labeled redub and stuff that you can find if you're concerned about the, the AI usage. But it wasn't, if I hadn't read anything about it, it wouldn't have come up. And I don't think that's really to the detriment of the, no. Of the project, I think the animator was just you know he's he's just trying to do his best with really really yeah. limited resources, We're, and he, you know did something that uh, you know upset people, which I can understand why they're upset because there's the whole thing about the um, you know the, the the strike and everything that's been going on recently about you know the way voice actors yeah. and and stuff are being or actors in general you know could you know are at risk of being replaced by technology yeah. and stuff. So it, these things can. You know, start out small and get bigger, but I think you know that, that I would definitely not be on the team of oh, don't go and watch this film because it's got some AI stuff. You know, the the director himself said, okay, fair enough. I've I've heard what you've said. I didn't even think about that. You're, it's a good point. I've, mm. I've tried to address it, and I think that's as much as you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out, and we certainly recommend you check this out. And we're going to put a link in the footnotes. Go check it out. The DTV throwback this week is Vendetta. A detective pushed beyond his limits will stop at nothing for vengeance. When his wife is killed by a criminal that he put away, Mason, a hard-nosed detective, deliberately gets arrested in order to get revenge. Okay. So this is from WWE, WWE Studios. 
one of many films that they were putting out. You know, we had things like No One Lives, which didn't actually, I had one wrestler in it. It wasn't really sort of a wrestling showcase, but it did come from WWE. There's a few others. The Day, there's, there's another one with Catherine Isabel with one, I can't remember which wrestler it was. There's loads, basically. They took over the um, the 12 Rounds fr- uh, franchise, for example. There was the Condemned franchise. So the Marine, one, they started the Marine. The Marine, of course, yeah. Scorpion the, King. Scorpion King, <clears throat> yeah. Involved in those. And t- to be honest, I, th- I think, you know, most of them have been very watchable films. I- I've enjoyed most of them over the years. This is directed by Jen and Sylvia Soska, who did American Mary and a recent remake of Rabid. And they've been working with WWE and, and other things as well. And and this is a pretty violent film. This goes all out, basically. You've never seen Dean Kane like this, for sure. The wrestler is a guy called The Big Show, also known as Paul Wright in this. He is just fucking massive. And I, th- I think he, he, he does a good job here, you know, play. I mean, he, he is a menacing bastard in this film, and I think he does a good job. Yeah, I, I I did like this. I like this a lot. It's 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 messy and, and violent and horrible, and I think it's yeah, works really well. Steve, you're well known for liking your blood. What how do you make? What do you make of Vendetta? It was all right. Like you say, it's messy, it's violent, but to me, it was. I mean, it's ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. Mm. You know. He kills his wife, so he kills his brother and gets sent to the same. He gets sent to the same prison. Mm. You know, <laughs> it, it's never going to happen. They do at least say, "Oh, we, you know, somebody pulled some strings and stuff." Yeah, sort of yeah. that. But I mean, after that, that point, then he's just Dean Kane either beating the shit out of someone or getting the shit kicked out of him, mm. and it just gets a little bit samey. You know what I mean? I know that you know you've got the usual. Oh, the governor's in on it and he's running a dodgy operation and they were together and what, you know. It's the same as any other prison movie in basically. And yeah, it's a little bit same for me. I'll be honest. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it is quite nasty. I mean, quite nasty scene, like the bit with the scene. Mm. Jesus, that, <laughs> oh, you know, that, that must have been that. And the whole bit with well, the shank as well, when it, when he, yeah. when it, with the pen. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, the end credits got me as well. Mm. Where he's basi- basically showing you how they make shanks in prison. Basically. What type, what type, it is, it's what type of different yeah. shanks they got and what he used to make them. Like. <laughs> Surely they can't get away with it. Yeah. But yeah, he's there. And one thing I think they got right is the, the Dean Kane's wife. Mm. She's quite a small person. Yes. So when the big show's got older, I mean, the big show's oh, I think yeah, he's big shot six, foot. eight, six, yeah. nine, and built yeah, like yeah. big shit, you know. Yeah, he, yeah. When he when he picks her up, he's like half the size of him, isn't she? Basically, yeah, yeah. Because he's always been huge. Mm. He's not something. Wrestling is not something I watch all the time, but I do remember seeing him a few times, you know, mm. three years ago and stuff. And yeah, when he picks her up and just like, kind of throw it, yeah, she looks absolutely tiny, and I think they've done that really well. And Dean Kane surprised me as well. Yeah. Because to me, he's always quite... It's always Clark Kent, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, you know, 
possible kind of well this is a fucking hard ass you know what i mean yeah. don't, don't like no shit don't like no prisoners he's all out all out and which was a decent well wrestling they call it a heel turn in, in a way you know mm. but just it's a completely different character from what i've seen him do before even that kid that's what we watched a while back you know he's, even that was still quite after, after the world yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's just a hard ass in this. Really impressive. Well, like I say, as good as the performances and the characters were, it just got a little bit saying it for me. Right. It was just an hour and a half of him beating someone up or someone beating him up, and that was about it until the last 10 minutes where all our writing issues, which is what I expected mm-hmm. anyway, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, not bad. Cool. <clears throat> Rich, how about you? What did you make of Vendetta? Yeah, I was quite surprised by it, actually, because it does, and it's a bit like the island in a way that, that you know, it's got a very standard kind of setup. Mm. But the difference was with this was that it kind of went in a direction that I completely didn't. I mean, there were things that happened in the island that I wasn't expecting, but they were all very much of a of a standard, you know, co- sort of combination of you know genre tropes kind of thing that you would have expected. Whereas this kind of went off the rails a bit more. It sort of sticks within the. I know he's not an undercover cop because he puts himself in the prison, but you know we've seen variations on the cop or other or agent goes into a prison to reach a certain objective and you know uncovers things. Whatever. So, but in this case, you know, it's I mean, we, other example, you know, the, whether it's uh, there was a Night Rider episode, Death Warrant with Van Dam had a bit had that kind of thing, Naked Gun oh, with Leslie Riot, Wilson. Riot, Riot. Riot. Uh, Dol- Dolph Lundgren is exactly Lundgren. this. Yeah. You know? I guess get, gets himself sent to prison for this exact same thing. To, you know, oh, to interesting. Get I haven't seen Riot, so oh, um, good. So, yeah, you should see that. So the so yeah. So the the setup is basically we have that say initial conflict. He catches him. He gets out. He goes after uh, you know the show. Big show goes after his wife, and then he he finds him and, and you know he's done that. The the thing they then do is like oh Dean Cain's a bit on the edge, so they. He basically gets some some, some clippers and, and shaves his head around the side <laughs> to make him look a bit, ed- you know, sort of a bit edgier. But which I thought, okay, they're kind of doing the cleat because you know Dean Kane, as as you guys were saying, he's Mister Clean Cut. You know, he's he's like Clark Kent, Superman kind of. He he always is that guy generally. But no, they really do take him, uh, you know, quite far. And I think this is down to the to the Soska sisters. Yeah. They've really taken him out of that comfort zone. And made him into this kind of monster because the, the the movie, it isn't about him sort of you know play you know doing the usual prison thing of or you know think about something like uh, Christopher Lambert in in Fortress yeah, yeah you know where he's himself but he's going to sort of rally around he's going to make friends with the old guy in his cell or whatever and the, you yeah, know, they're going to rally he's, around he's not, he's not being corrupted by the system which is what which is what we get here isn't it he's like well well he's not it, he's it, not engaging with the yeah. system and stuff is he he's uh, in this one he like really gets quite essentially quite feral you know he mm. becomes he, he just starts going after people and he's like a, so i was thinking of, as i was watching this i was thinking this is dean kane's avengement <laughs> is what it is yeah, basically he's he's such he's so unhinged in this and he essentially becomes a background character as the film's unfolding because he all he's doing is attacking people so there's not really anything he's not engaging with people he's not having dialogue scenes uh, very very often he does occasionally he goes and sees the warden and they have some stuff going on but they essentially make him this beast who's uh who's you know who's, who's just kind of unstoppable now i thought i would i'm i'm on sort of 
Steve's wavelength with the film is just crazy nonsense. I can't imagine that in a, in a, that this would be allowed to happen at all. Uh, you know, there would be, I mean, he's taking out people and there would be inspections. <laughs> stuff. There would be stuff going on, but there's no, it's almost like this warden has like complete unrealistic mm. control over, over that prison environment. But anyway, the, the guy play uh, Michael Eklund playing the warden, he really reminded me of like a cross between Alan Rickman in uh, Die Hard and, and Andrew Divoff. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. kind of, I thought he was quite entertaining. Is there, there's something called a little bit pantomime about him and stuff, but he was quite, he was quite a fun, fun villain. It is mainly Dean Cain's show, but the, the the big show gets a lot of really good scenes. I really liked him. I thought he had great presence, and he is very imposing. So that all worked really well. Yeah. I think you know we were saying about Dean Cain being pushed by the Oscars to to you know re- really go feral and you know really really push it. But similarly, I think I think you know the big show. You know, bearing in mind this is a WWE production, mm. and they are pretty precious about their their stage personas. You know, usually, I mean, he does sort of put. You know, he is an evil bastard in this. You know, he really is. It goes beyond being a heel in the ring, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's just, um, you know, that, and, and I was I was quite surprised how 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 far they pushed it right you know he's, he's not a pantomime villain he's he's just like you know he he is an animal basically you know which i thought was really refreshing having seen so many of these wwe films to see someone who was sort of so outside of his you know sort of stage persona yeah well one of the um, i mean the the previous i think the previous film that the soskers did before this was the wwe Kane film, uh, See No Evil 2. Yes, that's right. But that was Kane. In those movies, Kane is essentially playing a variation on his stage persona who was this evil, you know, he's supposed to be this sort of bad guy sort of character anyway. They're doing something a bit... I think I haven't seen that. I've seen the first film. I haven't seen the Soskers sequel. Um, But but the big show, yeah, I'm not sure on whether is he in the wrestling world. Was he kind of a bad guy character, or is he? He's more? he's on the he's on the fence kind of thing. Some you know, <clears throat> it, it really depends who he's who he's wrestling against. Yeah, he was supposed to be the Undertaker's brother. Oh, okay. Is he <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never knew. Originally, originally, when he came out, I think yeah. So, so I mean, a lot of people thought he was actually the same bloke because oh. Kane used to wear the mask all the time. Then that all got, yeah, taken apart and stuff. So I'm sure it was supposed to be undertaken. Okay. That's interesting. But yeah, the violent, as I say, I think it's because of the Soskers and they, they do like, I mean, this was, I think at the time, the only non horror film they'd ever made might even be still the only non horror film they've ever made. But it's definitely got, it's got a mean streak to it, definitely. Got a lot of blood and guts. A lot of, lot of blood and guts. I mean, Dean Kane so basically makes these sort of improvised knuckle duster kind of things. Yeah, with uh, with bolts sticking out of them to to, to really do a lot of damage. Which is like, whoa, Jesus! Which is sort of again, sort of leaning me into sort of thinking about things like a Benjamin. But he's a real psycho, basically. Mm. Dean Kane's character becomes essentially quite a psychopath, and I wasn't really sure what his what he was aiming to do because he kind of has the opportunity to take out the big show or at least go for him at a couple at a couple of points, but he kind of focuses on all the. The supporting characters, you know, the background people or whatever. And I, I know he's sort of trying to, I guess he's trying to thin the herd. So the, the guy, maybe he's got le- less people yeah, to rely so on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but so- I didn't really think that was, that was that compelling a reason. Like it didn't make, it, it seems like he could have 
just got the job done a lot more quickly, especially towards the end, because he kind of has has his moment and then walks away from him and then they come back. I think, no, they're not going to end it like that, are they? Because, you know, they haven't resolved it. And I was like, no, like, they do circle back to it because there's a big riot scene and everything. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was definitely not what I was expecting. Really interesting to see a different side of, you know, really interesting to see Dean Kane do something this, you know, brutal, yeah. you know, and I thought he, I thought he really, he did a really good job. I mean, say playing very much playing against type, starts out as the guy you expect him to always be and then yeah they sort of really make him into this brute and i know and, and, and convincingly so you know I, I didn't for a second i wasn't laughing at i was like, oh it's dean kane do it, doing that one but no he's, he's, i was with him i was i was with the character yeah absolutely okay we don't score the throwbacks but we do recommend you check them out you can find this on amazon prime at the moment possibly other services as well i wouldn't be surprised but definitely worth checking out I also recommend Riot with Dolph Lundgren and Matthew Reese film, which is very, very similar in plot, but with um, better state of action, it must, I must admit. But there you go. Okay, thank you for listening. That is the end of the show. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at the DTP Digest. Also check out the Short Shots where we have a whole library of links to some really, really cool shorts. Other than that, thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.